You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Lifelong Learning, featuring thought leaders in the field of continuing medical education. Lifelong Learning is presented in cooperation with the Alliance for CME, the International Association of CME Professionals. Here's your host, Senior Vice President of Educational Strategy for Prova Education, Lawrence Sherman, FACME, CCMEP. Clinical questions and conundrums often arise during routine patient care. At this moment in time, individual physicians are tasked with finding answers and applying them at the point of care. This represents the most empiric form of learner-driven continuing medical education. With us to discuss bringing CME to the point of care is Dr. Richard A. Berger, Professor of Orthopedic Surgery and Anatomy at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, as well as Dean of Mayo School of Continuous Professional Development. Dr. Berger is also current chair of the Accreditation Review Committee of the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education. Dr. Berger, welcome to Lifelong Learning. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. Well, what I'd like to do is start with just a little bit of a a background of your involvement in CME, a history, and what you do right now. Sure, I'm happy to. As you noted, I'm currently the dean of the Mayo School of Continuous Professional Development. Now, a major part of what we do in the school is to provide CME activities for both external learners outside of the Mayo Clinic system as well as CME activities for our own staff through regularly scheduled series. And it's through that involvement that I became interested in more of a national level, and I was fortunate enough to be selected to sit on the Accreditation Review Committee of the ACCME, or the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education. And through participation in that group, I've ultimately become chosen as their chair for the past year and then the upcoming year. So it's been a real enjoyable journey. Well, terrific. You know, the topic of this radio series is lifelong learning, but today we're really going to focus in on internet point of care and point of care CME. So do you want to share with the listeners your definition of point of care CME? I'm happy to. The whole point of continuing medical education is ideally to improve the outcomes of patient care. And we recognize that we run into uh, problems, as you noted in your introduction, at the bedside. We may have a situation where we're not sure of what the proper mode of treatment is or what the most recent literature uh, shows. And so point of care, CME, is basically a way of recognizing the learning activity that goes on in searching a real-time solution to a real-time problem. The American Medical Association, which is the ultimate credit provider for activities associated with continuing medical education category one credit, defines a point of care CME as a structured, self-directed online learning by physicians on topics relevant to their clinical practice. But in reality, what we're trying to do, I believe, is to incent the physician to seek valid sources of information on focused topics related to care being delivered at the time of inquiry. Well, it's interesting. You know, as a CME provider myself, I've been thinking about this, you know, through the years and saying, you know, boy, there's real education happening at lots of different places. It just doesn't meet our definition of it. So this really does represent a major change in the definition of CME. I believe you're absolutely right. And it actually addresses one of the key points, I think, of adult learning theory in that we tend to remember most about real-time problems that we're trying to solve. When we find a solution for that problem, we'll tend to remember that more than if we learn something proactively. This is not an indictment against the standard CME activities that we're all accustomed to. It's just that it provides, as you mentioned, an alternative means of recognizing the learning activity that goes on at the bedside. Can you talk a little bit about some of the available options in Internet Point of Care CME? 
Absolutely. It's interesting. It follows the same principles as sort of a scientific method or even those that are familiar with the concept of evidence-based medicine in the sense that virtually any learning activity that involves a validated source of information, and and there are a number of options uh, with that, but any number of validated sources of information can be used as the foundation for Internet point-of-care CME. The first step is just a recognition of the type of problem that the physician is trying to solve. Again, it's the same thing as in any kind of a scientific inquiry. You want to define what the problem is before you set about a means of testing solutions and ultimately finding the answer. It actually creates an environment where the physician wants to reflect on what the actual problem is that they're trying to solve. They can then go to any number of online resources. There may be electronic versions of journals or books practice guidelines. You can have full-text service providers. Several of these are available online. Secondary source topic reviews with peer review guidelines. Any number of credible sources of information. And then finally, once you have that information available and you feel like you have enough to be able to address the patient's problem, then it's a matter of coming up with an application of that information to the practice. And those are the three steps that are required, basically, to get Category 1 credit for point-of-care CME, to document the clinical question, document the sources that are consulted, and document the application to practice. So it's actually very easy. I think it's easy and it's fast. What happens when a clinician follows these steps, however, gets to step three and realizes that the reference that they consulted didn't answer the question? Can they still get credit for that? Yeah, I think that it's still possible to just justify the learning process with this because any learning, I think, is going to be a valid experience. And so I think just an explanation from the physician regarding the steps that they went through with reflection, they found that uh, perhaps this was not the most appropriate resource. And if they did find a better resource, to just document that. So it's not like it's going to be wasted time. There will still be a limit in terms of how much credit you can obtain for any particular question that's asked or any particular patient interaction. But, but realizing perhaps that you've gone down a blind alley, backing up and trying another resource. So I think as long as that's documented, there should be no issues regarding the credit. And I hope the listeners that are focusing in on this right now understand that they're probably doing this already and could be following a process and be getting some CME credit for doing what they do right at the point of care. That's exactly right. And that's the beauty of this. And I, I hope that more aspects of the credit systems and the regulatory aspects of our daily lives begin to recognize that we're already doing a lot of the things that these agencies would like to incent us to do. And it's a matter of trying to find a way to format this so that you get credit for those things that you're already doing. Like I said, there's absolutely nothing better than a physician actually going to validated literature to either verify a plan of action or to discover a plan of action for a particular patient problem. Like you say, this is simply giving due credit for the learning activity that goes along with this process. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Lifelong Learning on ReachMD Radio XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Lawrence Sherman, and joining me to discuss bringing CME to the point of care is Dr. Richard A. Berger, Professor of Orthopedic Surgery and Anatomy at the Mayo Clinic and Dean of Mayo School of Continuous Professional Development. Well, sort of moving along those lines, what are valid sources of information and how are those validated, if you will? The validation process is going to rest with the accreditor of the CME activity. As you know, the ACCME, they basically help establish the standards of how CME is delivered. The American Medical Association has established what is valid CME. 
But the accredited providers that are actually registered with and audited by the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education are the ones that are ultimately going to be responsible for granting the credit, and they're going to be the ones that are responsible for reviewing the submission of the request for credit. And they may have different sources that they may be looking at preferentially, but what the American Medical Association is going to want is a review process of the literature that is unbiased. In other words, the accreditor may have favorite sources or different ideas about what their preferred sources of information might be, but they want to make sure that all due process is given to the person, the physician that's actually doing the review. Basically, any peer-reviewed journals, anything that's going to be particularly those that are listed with systems like Index Medicus or PubMed that have met the criteria for a vigorous peer review process is going to be an acceptable source. I think that a number of online textbooks, again, as long as they are authored by a credible source where the author is recognized as an expert in the field, there are published practice guidelines, and there are are a number of texts that are available for online activities. What we want to get away from are those things that are going to be modifiable by anybody that clicks onto the Internet. There needs to be some content control from the source of the author or from the source of the publisher. So we want to make sure that there's actually a validated review process for the information to make sure that it's as legitimate and tested as possible. And I'd assume recent is also important because, you know, the risk is that they consult a journal article from 1987 or a publication that was two years out of date, and that's not necessarily the latest guidelines in practice. So there's some heavy weight that falls on the shoulders of the providers. But I'm hoping that the providers that are listening are thinking that, boy, this is something we should be doing because this is going to help meet the needs of the learners that we continuously assess. Yes, absolutely right. And I think you're right about the timeliness, too. That is very important to emphasize that the guidelines in practice are something that are changing rapidly as new discoveries are made and as guidelines continue to be tested and validated in the field. And I think that the CME providers could actually do a great service to those that are subscribing to their services by actually guiding the physicians to reliable resources that may be helpful. So, And we find this with a lot of specialty societies and specialty groups that are online that actually can help to direct the physicians to appropriate resources for finding the answers. And in doing so, they're actually, I think, helping the physician not only meet the criteria for the CME, but also to give them the most credible information in the care of their patients. And again, to the point that the physicians are already doing it, I think, to your point, the accredited providers need to see how they can fit into that system so that the credits can start being awarded. There is a maximum number of credits that a physician can get through Internet Point of Care CME each year, is there not? The American Medical Association, I don't believe, actually has a a maximum limit on that, but many of the organizations that use this will have that. Uh, For example, the American Academy of Family Physicians has a limit of 20 category credits that are allowed, and each individual event or each individual structured Internet point-of-care cycle is eligible for up to one-half or 0.5 category one credits. But for those that do have a limit on this, it's around 20 credits on an annual basis. Let's talk a little bit about what the future of this might look like and where new technologies may come in. I think I see a role for this to dovetail with EHRs, EMRs, and sort of linking to content sources or even CPOE. What do you think about that? Oh, I agree completely with that, yes. And again, I think that the less redundancy that we have in activities, the more alignment 
of purpose that we have, the more efficient and the more wide-reaching these activities are going to be. So I agree with you completely that as electronic medical records begin to mature into more than just uh, static records, but actually begin to interface with appropriate guidelines and patient care alert systems, where as an orthopedic surgeon, if I have a patient that is discovered preoperatively to have suddenly flipped into atrial fibrillation, I may be alerted to that fact by virtue of the internet, and it may take me directly to resources that allow me to manage that patient, even if it's a matter of getting to the appropriate referral, but if there's a learning component that goes along with that, it may very well interface very nicely with that. I suspect also that the process of actually gaining the credit may become more automated as well. Right now, there is a required step of actually reflecting about the activity and and somehow documenting that and sending it in. The reflection piece is always going to be there. I, I think that that's still going to be an important part of any learning activity is to actually reflect on what the question is and what we've learned from trying to answer the question. But the documentation phase may very well become more innovative and less time-consuming than even this very streamlined process already is. Can you touch upon your thoughts of the involvement of the newer technologies like tablet PCs, iPads, iPhones? Seems to me that from the earliest days in medical school moving forward, these tools are now in the hands of students and trainee physicians. Do you see this as enhancing the Internet point-of-care CME opportunity? Absolutely. And this is the point where the trainees can be teaching the trainers, basically. I can't tell you how facile the medical students and the residents are with the handheld devices and how rapidly they can get into validated sources of medical information, much more so than me. I'm, I'm in a generation where I was used to going to the stacks in the library and looking things up, and it is absolutely nothing for these individuals who've been basically brought up with this technology to be able to access the online information. And the more portable it is, like you say, with the handheld devices, the tablets, the smartphone systems, anything basically that gets this information to you at the bedside is going to be infinitely better. It eliminates a lot of the need for memorizing things that we may be prone to remembering in error. It gives you the background information and the ability to drill down as deep as you need to go while you're actually in the process of treating a patient, whether it's an emergency situation or an elective consultation in an office. I think that these devices are are really going to be helpful, and the younger generations coming up are going to be more facile than ever. I couldn't agree more, and I think that was a great way to wrap up this session. I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Richard A. Berger, Professor of Orthopedic Surgery and Anatomy at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, as well as Dean of Mayo School of Continuous Professional Development. Dr. Berger, thanks for spending time with us this week on Lifelong Learning. Thank you so much. I thoroughly enjoyed it. You've been listening to Lifelong Learning on ReachMD on XM160, the channel for medical professionals, featuring thought leaders in the field of continuing medical education. Lifelong Learning is presented in cooperation with the Alliance for CME, the International Association of CME Professionals, and is hosted by Lawrence Sherman. The Alliance for Continuing Medical Education is proud to partner with ReachMD to present the series Lifelong Learning in an effort to foster discussion on current issues in the field of continuing medical education. The Alliance for CME is a membership organization of professionals devoted to designing, implementing, and evaluating CME activities for physicians. Another initiative the Alliance is proud to sponsor is the National Faculty Education Initiative, or NFEI, with the Society for Academic Continuing Medical Education and in collaboration with the Association 
of American medical colleges. NFEI's educational activity and verification database will help medical education faculty understand the differences between certified CME activities and commercial marketing promotional programs, benefiting all stakeholders in the CME process and ultimately the public. More information about NFEI and the Alliance for CME can be found online at acme-assn.org. That's acme-assn.org. 